Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. You can make sure your Bibles are open to James. It's always encouraging to hear people say, walk out, don't run, just as you get ready to preach. That was funny, wasn't it? <clears throat> I try not to laugh about that. Most of you know in December we concluded our study, an extended study in the Gospel of Mark. And after 60 plus sermons on that Gospel over a couple of year period, we're asking ourselves this question. Are we people who have been marked by the Gospel? We've invested so much time into the gospel, now we're asking ourselves, since we've been in, do we look any different? Do we have the markings of gospel people? Last week we took a look at Galatians and the Apostle Paul asked pretty much the same kind of question in a little bit different way. He asked this, is our conduct in step with the gospel? So as people watch you walk in your life, would they say about your walk, there goes the gospel. I see the gospel at work. James, the passage that we're looking at this week, again the same question in a slightly different manner. Are we doers of the word or hearers only? We've, we've certainly heard the word, and now the question is, are we doing the word? This is a question that every parent here can appreciate. You feel pretty certain about the ability for your children to hear. You feel fairly confident, you know, if it, you say, hey, let's have some ice cream. They come right away. You, you checked out there to hearing. But plenty of times somehow when you, when you begin to communicate with them, it's, there seems to be a disconnect between hearing and doing. I see a lot of parents going, yep, you must have been in my house. It just seems like, uh, you know, I know they're hearing the information, but I can't get their feet to sort of move in that direction. 
And so James is basically a pastor parent here this morning, and he's asking me, he's asking you the same question. I know you're hearing the gospel, but my question today is, are you doing the gospel? When people see your lives, are they saying, that's the gospel? I see it in the way the person lives their life. And you get some sense here in the text, just in these few verses that James is concerned that people might be deceiving themselves. Verse 22, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, and not hearers only, therefore deceiving yourself. Verse 26, If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, James has a concern that's a concern that I share. I'm particularly concerned about the church today, that we have a lot of hearers, but we don't have a lot of doers. And he's telling us in the strongest terms, if you're not doing it, then there's a real, real problem in what you're calling religion in your life. And so, being a good pastor, he doesn't just ask the question, and that'd be good enough maybe for you to meditate on, but he gives us some markers. Well, how do I know, Paul? I mean, how do I know preacher? How would I know James if I'm actually doing it? Can you, can you give me something I can sort of line up with, that I can sort of check myself out against? And I don't know if you've been out in a waterway, there's a, a channel marker, channel markers in different places. There happens to be one uh, at that snows cut. As you come in from the river into snows cut, coming across towards the, uh, the inlet there, how do you know if you're in the channel? Because there's water all over the place. But there's only one channel, and you better get your boat in that channel, or you're going to be shipwrecked. And you just can't see from your eyes because it looks like it's deep enough to get your boat through at every point. But you know there's not. And what they've done is they've set up these markers. And they've got one marker on land and then they've got these markers every so often in the waterway. And you've got to get your boat so that it's all in one line. If one or more of those markers are offline, then you know you're not in the right channel. And James is concerned that that his people might not be in the right channel. You might be moving along, but you might be making shipwreck of your soul at any moment because you haven't gotten yourself lined up with the gospel. And so here he's going to give us three markers that we're going to look at today. How do you know if you've lined up? Well, we're going to, James is a good pastor. He's given us some markers to line ourselves up with. The first marker has to do with our mouth. The the second marker has to do with our morality. And the third marker has to do with mercy. So you, having heard the gospel, I'm asking you today, look at the markers. See if you're in line with the gospel by using these markers. The first one is the mouth. We see that in verse 19 and 20, and again in 26, we just read some of those. And I just think it's interesting that the very first thing James wants us to take note of, you see that in verse 19, know this, or if you're reading the NIV, it says take note, pay attention, 
And he's going to give you the very first thing. This, this is the first marker you've got to get online, and it has to do with your tongue or your mouth. Yeah, your tongue is a very small muscle. But it seems to have a, a disproportionate, uh, it seems to exert a disproportionate amount of influence in your life. You've seen what James says happens in chapter 3. He says the tongue can be compared to a spark that can create a forest fire. Have you ever done that? I won't ask for a show of hands. Some of you would say, well, I just don't have enough arms to raise, Paul. I mean, just this little spark got out there and then... Boom! You you were left with a forest fire to deal with. Or the tongue's like a little rudder that can steer a huge ship. A little misdirection and you've run aground because of the actions of your tongue. And I think one of the most sobering verses, especially as a Christian in the Bible, is actually verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. And the person's religion is worthless or empty. It's like a Hollywood movie set. Ever been out to the studios near the airport or anywhere like that? They've got what look like towns. You know, you, you sort of walk down the street and it looks like a town. But what happens is, if you ever open the door to what is a building behind, it's just empty. It's nothing, nothing out there. Nothing behind there. Your religion's like a, a beautiful doorway that people walk by and admire. But if they ever open the door, they just get emptiness and space. You don't have any substance in your life if you're not able to control your tongue, your, your religion is a sham. And so James is telling us the tongue is a, is a powerful marker to what's really happening in our heart. And he's not making this up. He's really just being like every good preacher. He's borrowing from another good preacher. I mean, you hope you don't hear anything new. You hope you hear what's been said over and over and over. And James is doing the exact same thing. He's just going back to John the Baptist in Matthew 12. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. How do you know the condition of someone's heart? You can't see down into it, but you can hear what comes out. You can get a read on the condition of somebody's heart. Jesus in Matthew 15 James borrows from. Things that come out of the mouth come from your heart. And so what I love about James here in this particular passage, and really in the whole book, is that he's so practical. Okay, so I need to guard that, but again, maybe I I need to hem myself in to see, how do I know? And he says, well, I'll give you some markers even right here. Let's look at three of them. First, are you quick to listen and slow to speak. Are you quick to listen and slow to speak? Or, 
Are you slow to listen and quick to speak? I wonder if you know somebody like that. I wonder if you're sitting in their chair. It's the kind of person, you know the kind of person because in the middle of a conversation, about halfway through your thought, they're already entering in on the advice come back. You ever been in a conversation like that? You haven't really even gotten to the most important part of your statement, but the person you're talking to is already saying, oh yeah, yeah, and they're, they're already giving it back to you before you've gotten to the end. That, that's, that's a marker of somebody who's got a, a heart condition. They're quick to speak. They're slow to listen. Or maybe you've run into somebody who's the kind of person that's like an expert in every field. You ever run into this kind of person? You know, just, I mean, it wouldn't matter whatever you talked about, they would say at the end of your statement, yeah, I know. I mean, they're, you know they're not listening because you know they don't know anything about that. But they just say, well, yeah, I know, I know about that. This is a person who, who's not really engaged in listening. They're mostly engaged in themselves. They've they got to make sure they get their voice out there. And James is telling us that if we're failing to be a good listener to other people, you're failing to be a good listener to the Word of God. If you can't take criticism well from other people, then you're going to have a tough time with the Bible. Because it's going to come in and it's going to criticize your life. If you don't allow people to speak into your lives, then you're going to have a difficult time when the Bible is trying to speak into your life. And so you know this person has a problem with their heart. And I want to just make this as practical as I can here because I think I can get probably everybody in here in this one of these categories. If you're a child here of any age, are you quick to listen and slow to speak when your parents are talking to you? It doesn't matter if you're five or you're 15. When your parents are sitting down, they're trying to speak into your life. They're trying to help you or give you advice. Are you quick to listen? Oh gosh, here comes some wisdom that I don't have. So I just want to be as quick as I can to listen. And I want to be real slow to speak. Or is it when your parents sort of get in the dialogue about halfway through, you just go, oh yeah, yeah, and you just sort of interrupt and just cut them off. Anybody? been that that situation. Or, and this happens, well, I guess it happens at all ages. I'm more familiar with it happening with teenagers, and I'm not even actually thinking about my own kids, just the kids that I've worked with in young life. They might give you a whole hearing, but then what do they say? (laughs) I know. And you go, you don't know. You don't have any clue what I'm talking about. But the, but the teenagers sort of just to cut off the conversation. I know. A parent's trying to speak truth into the life of the teen. And what they say is, I, I just know. I don't need to hear that one more time. You, you told me a million times. I, I've got it down. If you're married 
and your spouse is brave enough to speak into your life and to say, you know, I, I just see this and maybe nobody else is going to tell you. Are, are you quick to listen? Are you slow to respond? Or you just immediately get defensive? You, you got a quick excuse even before they get it out. Well, you're trying to sort of manage it in some way so you don't look quite so bad. Or at the, even if you give them the whole hearing, oh, I know about that. And you just sort of block them. You just sort of cut it off. If you have a friend, and most of you don't have friends like this, But if you have a friend who's really willing to sit down with you and look you in the eye and say, I'm concerned about this in your life. Are you quick, quick to listen? You're sort of rushing in because you definitely want to hear all of it before you give any kind of response. Are you quick to speak and slow to listen? That's the first little marker underneath the first point. If you're somebody who's quick to speak and slow to listen, then probably you have a heart condition. You have a heart problem. The second sign underneath this heading of your mouth that James gives us is that we're slow to anger. I want to be real clear here. It doesn't say you don't get angry. You do get angry. Jesus got angry. God is angry at certain things. So anger is okay. But we have to be very careful with anger. Anger is a very controlling kind of emotion. And that James is concerned about. He's saying you need to be real slow when you get angry. Anger is demanding. Anger is designed to put somebody in their place. Anger means, I've got to be heard right now. And sometimes that's appropriate. Sometimes you need to be heard right now. Sometimes you are trying to put somebody in their place and it's, it's helpful. But typically, anger, especially what James is talking about, he's cautioning us. And look what he says. He says, I want to make sure it's towards God's righteousness and not self-righteousness. You're in your anger. You're not just trying to promote yourself. Make sure you're right. Make sure you're heard. Because one of the controlling emotions behind anger is pride. So whenever you get angry, you need to stop and slow down and say, am I really just reacting because of pride? I mean, is my pride on the line here? Or is the righteousness of God on the line? Everybody's been around a quick-tempered person. You don't like it. You get nervous. It's because they're controlling. If things just even get a little bit out of the way, it's like a fire starts. And you do all you can to just swing real wide of that person. Proverbs 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, 
But the slow to anger pacifies contention. So James has given us a warning sign for our heart. If you're quick to get angry, you've got a heart problem. And then the third sign here, he says, you have a bridle on your tongue. You see that down in verse 26. You know what a bridle is. It's sort of a whole mechanism that fits over the horse's head. It's got the bit and the, the you know, the reins and all that. that all that is a, I, I'm using this to control this animal. And so he's saying, you're going to need something to control this animal that we're going to call the tongue. You need to get something on that. You can't just let it loose. You can't let it go wild. You have to put some kind of bridle or guardrail on your tongue. And that is the Word of God. That's what's guarding how you think. That's guarding your heart and that's what's coming out of your mouth. Psalm 119. How does a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. Well, where has He hidden that Word? Where is the Word of God for the psalmist in 119? I have hidden your Word in my heart. It's coming out of my heart. When I open my mouth, the Gospel is coming out. Because that's the soil that my heart is planted in. And so you hide God's Word in your heart. So if somebody opens up your life, It's not just empty. It's not just a big vacuum or void. You've got something substantial to give the person. And James provides really his own illustration here in verse 23. He talks about not being like a man who's looked in a mirror and then forgets what he looks like. He's saying, well, you know, nobody stares intently into a mirror and then when you walk away and you ask him about, well, what do you have on? They don't say, golly, I've forgotten. He said, don't be like that person. Don't stare into the Word of God and then as soon as you get away from it, now you've forgotten it. How many times have people come to church and they've intently listened But just as soon as you get out the door, it's like you never took a look at it. Your whole life just reverts back to doing something differently. He's saying, you've got to look. You've got to pay attention. It's got to shape the way you you think. It's got to shape the way you work. It's got to shape what you wear. When I was in middle school, my mother really made several mistakes. But this was a big one she made. And, you know, you can always criticize somebody if you say, bless their heart. So, bless my mom's heart. And, plus, she's dead. So, um, you know, she's in a better place now. But when in middle school, this is what she would do. She would come wake me up. Paul, hey, it's time to get up. And then she'd go make breakfast. And I was left to get up and get dressed. Groom myself and come eat breakfast. And then right after breakfast, it was time to, you know, hit the car and go to school, get on the bus, whatever. And I couldn't tell you how many times I heard this when I came into the kitchen. Paul, did you even look in the mirror? And what was she, that was the nice way of saying this. Anyone on the planet 
if they had looked in the mirror, wouldn't still be wearing what you have on right now, son. None of this matches. Did you even take a look at your hair? Did it even cross your mind to look at yourself? And I mostly was like, no, it really didn't cross my mind to look at myself. Why would I want to look in the mirror? And you see what's happening? you got people who are looking in, and they're looking at, hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But when they turn, it's as if they just took completely forgotten it. And so as your pastor, as, as your friend, I am asking you, in the mornings, not at night, in the mornings, do you get up? Do you stare intently into the Word of God? Is it shaping what comes out of your mouth? Is it shaping the way you live your life? Or do you just get up and say, I've just put on my best thinking cap today. That's not good enough in this world. People need to see the Gospel. And for them to see the gospel, you have to be staring intently at it. It's got to be long enough that it works its way down into your heart and then works its way out into your hands and feet. One of the markers is our mouth. I wonder how... Are you in the channel? The other two markers sort of go together. They're towards the end of the passage. Morality and mercy. He's saying, let's check your morality. Let's check your acts of mercy and see if you're in line with the gospel. I love what John Piper said about this passage. Here is something to provoke the liberal and something to provoke the conservative. James gets in the face of the leftward-leaning Democrat, and James gets in the face of the rightward-leaning Republican. To the one, he says, care about social justice and works of compassion. And to the other, he says, care about private morality, chastity, honesty, purity. See, true religion is going to rein you in on both of those things, your morality and your mercy. I like the two words that James uses in checking our morality. They're, they're word pictures. Verse 21, he says, put away or get rid of. The word picture here is like a, a, a coat. Some kind of piece of clothing. And he's saying, look, you, you've come out of an old lifestyle. We understand that. Everyone's come out of an old lifestyle. But you need to put away some things. You need to take off some of those old clothes and begin to reorganize your closet. Remember when John, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb? John 11, I think it was. And he says, get up. And Lazarus gets up and he, they roll away the stone and Lazarus comes out. And what's the first thing Jesus says? Help him get out of these grave clothes. He's, he's all bound up. He can't move. And Jesus is saying, some other people need to come in and help this guy get rid of some of these garments. And I'm wondering for you, are there some garments hanging in your closet from your old life? That just every once in a while, 
It just feels the, feels good to put them back on. Greed, lust, materialism, gossip, anger, bitterness. James is saying, get rid of those old clothes. And then he says this, keep yourself. This is a picture of like a fortress circled with weapons. You not only have to to get rid of some things, you not only have to take some things off, then you have to guard yourself. You have to be aware of what's happening in our culture, what you're reading, what you're listening to, what you're looking at. You have to be on guard because the enemy is going to come in at any point and try to, to take you down. And he's saying, so you've got to be like a military fortress. You've got to be looking all around and saying, is there, what, what, what's creasing the horizon that I say, I've got to get rid of that right now because if that gets too close, I'm done with. A couple of months ago, we had a, a Westminster Seminary professor here named Carl Truman. Many of you heard him. And gosh, he just said one thing that has stuck with me over and over Somebody asked him, and I actually think it was Andrew Barton uh, in a Q&A, what he thought, Carl Truman's a church history professor, said, from just sort of your understanding of church history, now you understand the church in the 20th century or 21st century, what do you think is like the biggest challenge to the church today? I thought it was a great question. I was really fascinated to sort of lean in and, well, what's he going to say? He said, internet pornography in his view, was the single biggest challenge to the church today. Why? People aren't on guard. They're not taking out the enemy as soon as it creases the horizon. And so Satan is wiping out legions of young Christian men. Of whom some are sitting in this congregation, I feel certain. Legions of marriages are getting creamed by internet pornography because we're not, we're not being on guard. We're allowing little things to creep in, saying, well, you know, that's not a big fire. That's not a big problem. And that little thing works its way into a roaring fire in our lives. And it's devouring young men. It's devouring marriages. So we have some things in our morality. How, how are you lining up now? We've got our mouth and we've got our morality. Are you in the channel Or is it possible you're deceiving yourself? Finally, we have the words for mercy. Verse 27. Here is the religion that is pure and undefiled. This this is what God is looking for. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Why do you think James picked orphans and widows? I mean, certainly we should be merciful to everyone. 
But somehow he just zeroes in on these two groups. Just to make sure if you need a marker, it's orphans and widows. Orphans and widows cannot repay what you give them. When you give yourself away, when you give your time away, when you give your money away to an orphan or a widow, they're just needy. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just they need. They're not able to repay you back. A widow is somebody who wants and needs a husband. Somebody to come into their lives and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you home. An orphan is somebody who needs to be adopted. Why do you think James chose, if he wants his congregation to be doers of the word, why do you think he chose orphans and widows? Every gospel person here should know this. That's the gospel. The gospel is the king of the universe came to people like you and to me who could not possibly repay. He came all the way saying, I know you don't have anything of value. I'm not coming looking for you to repay me. I'm coming just for you. He, and who is He coming for? He's coming for His bride. He's coming to get married. He's coming to say, I'm coming for you and I'm going to bring you all the way home. He's coming for people who need to be adopted. You see, when you're a doer of the Word, people see, there goes the Gospel. Now I'm open to the gospel because I'm just watching it walk out in the life of these people. I see it in their, the way they use their mouth, what they say and what they don't say. What they say about people and what they don't say about people. How they speak to their spouse and how they don't speak to their spouse. How they're quick to listen and they are slow to speak and they are slow to anger. I see it in their morality. They look out on afar and they they say, if anything's coming in here, boom, I'm going to get rid of that. I don't want it to come in and wreck my life. I'm lining myself up. I'm getting in line with the gospel. And as I go out and serve people who cannot give me anything of value back, then when people see you do that, they say, that's the gospel. I'm interested in that. Because I don't feel like I've got a lot to give back to a holy God. And so they say, no, the gospel is about God coming all the way. Those are the markers. If you're a gospel person, are you marked 
by the gospel. How are you lining up? What in this sermon has God said, and you're missing the mark there? Is anyone here deceiving themselves? Is anyone just spending all the time on polishing the door? But when you open it up, it's just emptiness. Lord, you speak through James. So you used James to speak to a group of first century Christians. James was concerned that some of his first century Christians were deceiving themselves. And you gave markers. Not that we earn it, but it just helps us to see if our life's in line. Are we, are we moving in the right direction? And now, I pray that these words through James, now through Paul Phillips and into the ears of these people would affect their feet. Everyone here has been able to hear it. But the goal is, are we doers as well? So now as we, we enter into worship with our finances, and we just have a moment to reflect, I pray, even if it's just one thing, you, you would speak clearly into the life of every person here. Lord, we pray that you take our resources that really are borrowed from you, and turn them back into building the kingdom of God for your name and for your glory. Pray, amen.